All right, so um, I'm Sarah Alford and I'm a BCBA. I am not autistic, but I am neurodivergent. Hi, I'm Shannon Biaggi. I am a neurotypical behavior analyst practicing in the area of organizational behavior management and systems. Hi, I'm Megan Miller. I'm a BCBAD, neurotypical, and I mostly provide consultation and professional development. And hi, everybody. I'm Jeff Newman. Uh, I am autistic. Um, I work as a case manager for home and community-based services for people with intellectual and developmental disabilities, uh, including autistic people, and work with plenty of, D of BCBAs as part of that. Hi, I'm Alexander Vesser. I'm autistic and I also work in the field of ABA. I currently am an RBT um, and will qualify to sit for the BCBA exam in the coming months. Um, I currently work with adolescents um, and do a lot of advocacy work within reform. Um, that's kind of my thing right now. Um, so everyone, this conversation is going to be about the ABA version of the Cards Against Humanity game that was developed on mainly on Facebook groups um, in threads about five years ago, um, collaboratively by many ABA providers. Um, this conversation is long overdue. It's not going to be adequate. It's not trying to ask for forgiveness. We're not trying to resolve this. This is about accountability. This is something our field needs to talk about and it's been a long time coming and we need to talk about it. So before we get started really quick, I just wanna talk specifically to the ABA people that are watching this video. Um, I know our natural inclination when we're being called out over something uncomfortable is gonna to be to get really defensive. Um, this incident that we're gonna be talking about and the surrounding culture that sort of brought it out of us and brought it about um, these things don't reflect well on us. It's going to make us uncomfortable, and it should. Um, it's going to look bad because it was bad, and that's why we're talking about this. Uh, especially in light of what's happened in our country over the last few weeks, I think it's even more important that we understand that what anyone does or what people do in our field, especially under the name of ABA, reflects on all of us who call ourselves BCBAs, uh, call ourselves ABA providers. And we're all accountable for those actions and to make sure that we speak out against them. Because if we don't speak out against that, if we sweep it under the rug, if we dirty delete it, um, or if we stay silent, we are complicit. Um, so just keep in mind while you're commenting and dialoguing um, about this video, um, we're not gonna be tone policing people who are sharing their experiences of trauma and hurt. Um, we don't condone name calling, we're not, condoning specific attacks or threats against people. Um, basically the rules like don't be a dick. <laughs> um, let's talk about taking accountability and what we as a field need to do. So we're gonna talk a little bit about um, what happened first because some of you may not know the whole story um, about the Cards Against Humanity uh, incident in the ABA field. So Shannon, go ahead. Yeah, so where this story kind of starts is around mid-2016. I was um, in graduate school for a degree in behavior analysis with my emphasis in OBM. Um, so a bunch of us uh, students got together and we had really gotten into playing this game, Cards Against Humanity. 
So for those of you who don't know what Cards Against Humanity is, it's a extremely crude card game um, in which players are filling in the blanks uh, with other cards that are usually dirty, uh, sometimes gross, um, often fairly humorous, sometimes not really humorous at all, uh, words and phrases. So we would get together in grad school and do this about once a week or so. And it was often over drinks and we would just kind of laugh off the stress um, for better or worse. Um, so one night we actually started um, adding inside jokes from our classes and that expanded into um, being professors names and that turned into terminology that sounded kind of funny from our, our behavior analysis courses. Um, and then the following day, and I promise I was not drinking at the time, um, I had a terrible idea, which uh, was to put this out to the broader ABA community and crowdsource some additional ideas for cards for our game. Um, so I asked if anybody had ever played before and um, what ideas they might have for these cards. Um, and this, the reaction that we got from this post was pretty much instant. Um, dozens of ideas just start flooding in um, and then it grew into hundreds and hundreds of these ideas. Um, and for the most part, the, the cards early on, they were, you know, general concepts. They were dirty and funny. Um, and then we kind of just let the really offensive ones slide by with, you know, relatively little acknowledgement, um, which is um, passive neutrality that is, is extremely dangerous right now. Um, so after a while, the notifications got overwhelming and I ended up, you know, turning it off after a couple of days. But a, at that point, there was a, a few hundred posts of these, these cards being crowdsourced. Um, I saw the, one of the threads um, kind of building early on, uh, sort of scanned through them. I think I was either a student or had just graduated at the time. So the technical terms, I was like, oh yeah, these are ABA things. I didn't even think about what rabbit holes um, that it could, and I mean, obviously would go down. Um, and when I heard about the uproar later from um, autistics, not I didn't hear it from autistics, I heard that there was an uproar from autistics sort of in distant Facebook land. Um, I just, you know, assumed, well, I, I wasn't part of that. I, you know, I saw it being created, but I, I wasn't part of it. So um, I just sort of let it go. And I know now that everything our field does and everything we stay silent on reflects on all of us. And that's why I'm here. That's why we're talking now. So my recall is not quite as detailed as some of the others. I remember seeing a post somewhere about the cards and I looked at them and I was immediately appalled by some of them. I took quick action to inform my team at Navigation at the time, the company that I owned, uh, that they should not use these cards and they should not take, um, you know, take them to parties or do anything like that. I recommended that when encountering things like this and other humorous posts on Facebook to take into account the perspectives of their clients before interacting with something like this. But on the flip side, I also quickly defended um, some of the communicate, I guess, posts that were shared the cards. 
uh, she was being attacked for posting the cards without taking the time to listen. Um, for me, I didn't take the time to listen to those who were expressing how it was affecting them. I was so focused on protecting my colleague and helping everyone understand that she's a good person that I missed an even larger opportunity. It wasn't until a parent on the thread where I was defending uh, the post said something, not defending the cards, but defending the initial post, said something along the lines of pleading with us to think about how our clients might feel and how parents would feel if they read these cards and not only took offense to them, but pictured the people who were coming into their family's home to work with them, leaving the home and going to after hours to play games like this and make fun of the families and the clients that they were serving. I also didn't speak out as much against the cards as I should have. And I know now that silence is not the answer in these types of situations. More recently, Jeff made a comment on a do better post that I made about just the broad game that um, Shannon was describing earlier that they used to play before called Cards Against Humanity. And um, there was a, you know, a new thing going around with COVID that you could play that game virtually. I honestly didn't even think about the behavior analytic version and the harm that it caused when I made the post or the trauma that it would recreate. Jeff's comment was deleted because I didn't think it would have the conversation around it that it deserved. But I've also learned since then, it's better to let the comments stay so as not to silence people and to encourage professional and positive discourse, similar to what we are asking everyone to do that is viewing this video. We can't learn from each other and do better if we silence those who make us feel uncomfortable. The comment was deleted because I was away from my computer that day and I was worried the conversation would go south quickly. I have learned better ways to handle these moments. Very grateful to you, Jeff, for being one of those big influencers and teaching me. And I will continue to learn from others on this topic. So um, here's how I encounter the cards. Um, in December 2016, um, they were a lot of the cards were compiled into a PDF um, that then got hosted on a major ABA Facebook page, um, and that post also got huge. Um, it amassed 1,100 likes and something like 300 comments, um, and became a very big post. Uh, but I didn't find it then. Um, I, I found it uh, in, I believe, August 2017 when an autistic activist um, who runs a page called Unstrange Mind posted about it. And so I, I wanna take a moment and uh, actually show some of these cards and talk about what I encountered um, when following this link and trying to figure out what, what my friend was talking about and why my, my friend was so upset. Um, and so just as a setup, I like this is a content warning uh, and I don't want to spend too much time harping on this or making this the central point of this video. But, but I, I think people have to see this to understand. Um, and so what we're going to do is we're going to take about three minutes um, and go through kind of some of the card content. Uh, and and there we're gonna have a stop to it and we're really not gonna reference that card content past that point So we're gonna put a caption up. That's gonna tell you if you don't want to look at this at all We understand that um, It's gonna tell you when in the video you can skip to where where we resume talking about it and not directly referencing specific points of it. 
So I am going to start here and actually bring up um, the cards, um, some examples of what we're talking about in terms of um, some of the some of the stuff that's that's in this deck uh, that was posted as a PDF and then got shared all over the ABA internet. Um, so first to what Shannon Jeff, was sorry. talking about. Sorry, sorry. Um, can you go back to the first slide real quick, the content warning one? Um, that's the second slide. You want me to okay. go back to it? No, 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 that's fine. Um, I did, either way, I did want to make sure because we may do some live watching of this. If anyone's watching this live, you won't be able to slide the video. So wait, you know, walk away, mute the computer and come back when, when you see this content warning slide come up again in a few minutes. Okay, cool. Thank you. <laughs> that is a good way to do that. Let's do it. So, um, like what, what Shannon was talking about, I think you can see in the like finished product of this, um, you, can, you can see that clearly this started out with kind of, you know, ABA in jokes and jokes about the student experience. And there is a lot of professors' names in there and a lot of wonky ABA in joke types. And, and these cards are, are examples of that. Um, you know, Skinner's glasses, conjunctive schedule. I have no idea what condi condition conditioner of a condition conditioner is, but um, that seems funny if that's a thing. Um, but really quickly, they make a slide towards wow. Um, and so we're gonna get into that. There are seven total slides in the deck covering disgusting reinforcement food. Uh, reinforcer box covered in ants, three week old cookies, um, a pocket full of Lenny Skittles, holding a gummy in your hands until it is just goo. Like this is, this was a common thread of people making jokes about uh, feeding other human beings gross food so they do what guys want them to do. Um, I, like that is somebody that's been given reinforcement food in my life. Like, ow. Um, so uh, there's eight cards in the deck that are covering making fun of accidents or bathroom use. So we have poo on the floor, poo on the chair, poo on the table, poo on the walls, poo, poo everywhere. We have fecal smearing. Uh, we have I got bodily fluids on my blank. Uh, we have fecal matter. And we have several more uh, along those lines. Um, there are 14 different cards in this deck. Uh, by the way, there is a total of 225 cards in this deck. Um, and there are 14 that cover stuff in the world of restraints, acts of violence, or otherwise getting physical with people. Um, so we have a bruise the size of a cantaloupe, pinch the nose to release the jaw. We have during an extinction burst, a client hit me with blank, two person restraint, physical restraints. Uh, and as part of that, there's two separate cards talking about electric shock. Um, electric shock therapy deemed useful for improving blank while blank. Um, I, I don't think I need to lecture the audience to this, uh, the, the, the seriousness and the con controversy around use of that. And um, so, so I, I guess I won't. <laughs> um, and then there's, a, there's more cards that are just, you know, what are we thinking? 
Um, so a couple of these, uh, this study, a rapid method of toilet training, the institutionalized retarded. Uh, for those that may not be familiar with what that card is referencing, that's a study from the 1970s that took a whole bunch of institutionalized people and either locked them in the bathroom all day while forcing them to drink copious amounts of water and then screaming at them when they had the inevitable accident to drive behavior change through shame. Uh, or if they weren't, if they were lucky enough to not be forced to spend their entire day, day after day in a bathroom, uh, they were forced, forced to stay immediately outside the bathroom. Also drinking copious amounts of water, being screamed at and forced to clean up uh, when the inevitable accident that they were being forced to have happened. Um, and then just stuff like, watch what I can make him do if I ring this bell, he blinks. Um, you know, I, I, I guessing that's a Pavlov, Pavlov's dog joke, um, but we're, we're, we're talking about human beings. Um, so this is some of the content in that card deck, um, but it's not the only stuff. This is just the stuff that is like the worst of the worst. Uh, there's a whole bunch of cards in there joking or enabling jokes about unethical conduct, uh, plenty of, of jokes about drinking, um, and like there's a lot of jokes about specifically referring to client genitals or genitals in general. Like there, there seriously is a lot. It comes up several times of like jewelry shaped like a phallus and clients can only touch their genitals in X. Like there's a lot of that stuff in there. So that is the kind of stuff when we're talking about this deck that that's, this is the content that we were talking about. So uh, um, this can is I where- Can I jump in real quick, Jeff? Yes. Um, the, just as a, for the statement about uh, that research paper, that's still referenced in education today. I finished my program for my master's in May, and I had that referenced as a tool uh, to help me with potty training clients in around October of no or November of last year. So it's still being used in our education system for ABA. So uh, yes, it's in the past, um, but it's still being used in the present. So please, whoever's watching, don't dismiss the content there as, oh, well, that's old ABA because it's frankly not. Uh, yeah, thanks for mentioning that. Um, I. The only reason I'm familiar with that study is a BCBA gave me that study in 2018, uh, suggesting that it be adapted for use with uh, somebody that we were both working with, um, including the part about drinking copious amounts of water um, for to precipitate accidents. Um, so that's that was like, like it, it it was not being introduced to something historical. It was being introduced to something valid to use in 2018 in a, an adapted format. Okay, um, so that's, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take screen sharing off here. Um, and that is the end of talking about specifics of what's in those cards. And thank you people for going along with that ride. Um, so um, in August, 2017, that is what I encountered. Um, and that is how I, that was my introduction 
to just seeing that and getting hit across the face with it and um, being utterly shocked. Um, and that is how the autistic world, for the most part, got their introduction to those cards some uh, most of a year after they were first posted um, and uh, not seeing seeing 1,100 likes, 300 comments on the thread posting that PDF um, and not, not naysayers in there. Um, and it's, I think it's important to talk about what happened um, to Unstrange Mind and on his page uh, when he posted that. Um, there were a lot of people that came to defend the ABA world against those cards, um, that it was only a few people, um, that it didn't reflect, that our interpretation of the cards was totally inaccurate, and it, it wasn't really setting up the jokes that it was clearly setting up. Um, and and a, a lot of that took the form of just a full-throated defense. Um, like, in those days that that thread on the Unstrange Minds page discussing these cards and being shocked and horrified by them, there was a BCBA that came in and chose that moment to say that the person that facilitates the Unstrange Mind page isn't actually autistic. Chose that moment to um, have that argument. Um, and so that was, that was my introduction, is reading his post the day he made it and getting horrified. Um, I came into this situation towards the end, as in the last couple months. Um, I didn't start working in ABA till 2018, which is around the same time I discovered I'm autistic and got diagnosed. It wasn't until this year that I even heard of the, the Cards Against Humanity ABA story. It got mentioned on a page somewhere on Facebook and I ignored it because I can't stand the game in general. Um, so much like Sarah said, that like, oh, this isn't a conversation for me. I didn't delve in because I, I hate that game. I refuse to have it in my household so much, um, like kind of thing. Um, then I joined the reform conversation and actually look at the cards because um, I realized, okay, well, I should actually pay attention to this. Um, it disgusted me because these cards reflect on me and my clients who I love. Um, I stayed in the field knowing the wrong that happens because it feels uh, I in a position to advocate for them. Yet here are these cards that show just how nasty the field is, how nasty my former coworkers may have been towards me, and I'll never know how the kids I spent my time with are then talked about. It broke and still breaks my heart. And this is what RBTs like myself are seeing in ABA space on Facebook. This is what they're taught as okay behavior for them to engage in. And no one steps in to say it's wrong. So the problem is perpetuated and I want better for autistics. I want better for those who work for us. So um, that's where I come into this story. So, um, you know, I, I, I talked about um, like what my initial reaction was discovering the cards, um, but that wasn't my only reaction. Um, I had a very personal and very intense reaction from that. And uh, it's a reaction as um, somebody that grew up with therapists. Um, I was in special education my, in, until I graduated high school. I had an IEP every year. 
Um, and I had plenty of therapists working with me. Um, and I know a lot of those therapists didn't like me, um, didn't want to be spending their day with me. Um, and, um, you know, I, that, I, that certainly rubbed off on me. Um, and one of the recurring themes of growing up autistic in a world where you're not really accepted is people telling you, giving you implicit and explicit messages that you're broken and you're only acceptable as much as you can pretend to be like everybody else. Um, and so growing up with that, I have a constant little voice in my head that tells me nobody likes you and you're doing it wrong and you're being weird and you need to stop. Um, and that voice never shuts up and I don't expect it ever will shut up in my life. And reading those cards fully validated that voice uh, for myself, for other people, for just, uh, so as I was reading those cards, all that was coming to my head is this is what your therapist really thought about you. And I know some of them did. I know some of them would make fun of my back from accidents. I know some of them would make fun of the weird ways I acted. Uh, I know some of them probably would make fun of like what I would do for gross food. Uh, I know all of those things. And I know of thousands of autistic people like me where those same things could be said about. And I could imagine those therapists sitting there and playing that game and throwing those cards down saying, this is so Jeff, um, or other people. And, and it breaks my heart. Um, and it put me into um, a full-blown mental health crisis. Um, I had to come home from that and uh, tell my wife what was going on and tell my wife to keep an eye on me. Um, and um, I, I couldn't even um, really explain totally what was going on because I started explaining like, hey, in the ABA world, I came across like, there was thousands of people that liked this post about, um, you know, and I started describing the cards and my wife shut me down and said, please stop, please stop, please stop. I can't handle child abuse. Um, and uh, so I stopped, um, but I, I spent, um, and, and in that midst of trying to avoid myself getting to that point where I had to tell people, look out for me um, and, and ask me where I'm going and, you know, just know that I'm having like ideation and stuff. Um, that one of the things I did was I seized on that there has to be in that thread on Facebook, uh, there has to be somebody that objects to these cards. Um, this can't be everybody because it's cards against humanity and cards against humanity, the self-acknowledged game for terrible people, it's controversial and there's plenty of people like Alexander, you said, it's not their thing. Um, I, Happen, I'll, I'll own that um, in our, our our cabinet of games, Cards Against Humanity is one of the games in there. Um, but I know it's not for everybody. Uh, and so I was sure that I would find something I could seize onto and save my mental health of objections. Uh, so I read through that entire thread really quickly and desperately looking for where where is the objection? Where are the people that said, this is icky, this is gross, why are we doing this? And that's not what I found. Um, I found people talking about 
playing this in organized way at ABA conferences, playing this as team builders after they'd let kids like I was as a kid, you know, presumably go home for the day. Um, and that's what I found. I found over and over and over people feeding back in and laughing at this and thinking this is funny. Um, and it destroyed me. <laughs> um, just, and it, I, it caused me to lose so much trust because uh, um, I work with BCBAs professionally. I have plenty of in-person relationships and people I know personally, face-to-face, -face, in person, could very well have written those cards. I don't know if they did. The, you know, the threads are all gone. Um, and I don't know if they laughed at it. And I don't know if they ever played that deck. And I never will know. Um, and I can't help, even today, years later, wondering, everybody in the profession I meet, knowing how many people either liked or made cards, or commented in support, or played, or watched it happen, and either went along with it, or if they had reservations, those reservations weren't aired, and, and it really hurts. It really hurts. Thank you for sharing with us, Jeff. Hopefully for those that are watching, it's more than just seeing comments posted, seeing that effect that these cards or similar could have on people. Um, my emotions and feelings and reactions were not as in depth. Um, I was shocked at some of the cards. I on honestly, wow, I, Jeff, in, in, wow, that you were able to look at all of them. I looked at about five and I stopped. Um, I was confused at to how people in our field said things like um, on the post. I do remember seeing a few people saying things like, oh, we're just having fun. Um, can't people take a joke and things like that without realizing the impact they were having. Um, despite this, I didn't speak up as I should have. And I definitely didn't check in with any of my autistic friends or peers to see, um, you know, how this was affecting them or what we could do. And I definitely regret that. Um, like Megan, uh, I also regret not saying anything. Um, when I hear Jeff, he's talked about um, looking through the thread, looking for someone to speak up, someone that could have, um, and knowing that I was one of the people that went through the thread and just said, oh, well, everybody seems to, you know, be enjoying it so far, and then I just disengaged instead of speaking up um and that's something that i will always regret um and continue to regret in general in our field um, of not speaking up every time i see someone in our field doing something wrong and that's something that i'm going to change that's something that i'm going to keep working on um, because when i saw those cards my first thought was no, it doesn't apply to me, and I stopped. And we're not, not gonna do that anymore. There we are. Sorry about that. Um, 
Yeah, when I I learned about these and I read some of them, I, I Jeff, I commend you because I I could not read all of them. I read as many as I could get through um, to understand the scope of this, and um, I was disgusted um, by the field, disgusted by it having been swept under the rug, um, disgusted with myself for being part of the system that allowed it to happen. Like gave me serious thoughts of like, why am I staying? Why am I here? Um, I should go get a different degree and just uh, take the loss of uh, the degree I currently have. Um, it did not make me feel safe as um, an autistic practitioner among my peers. Like how many of my peers make uh, such references that um, they may or may not know do relate to me and my life experience. Um, and that doesn't feel very good to work in any ABA company as an autistic, knowing that this type of thing floats around out there. And these are thoughts that my peers have um, about my other set of peers, my autistic peers and myself. Um, also, significant amount of fear for autistics formerly or currently receiving services from people who made these cards. Um, yeah, it, it's a complicated set of feelings, but it um, is one that I s still have days where I see conversations that happen that I, I question my choice to stay in the field and whether or not I can be effective. I'm here, I'm having the conversation, and I don't think that I'll be going anywhere, but um, things like this, when they get swept under the rug, they definitely make me question whether or not I'm safe in this field as an autistic. Um, so that's, yeah. So I think we're going to talk a little bit now about how did this happen? How did this come about? Um, why did our institution fail? Um, who would like to go? Um, I, I can kind of lead off on that. Like I, because one of, one of the things I feel from looking at how this played out in one of the things that feels like it could have put the brakes on this is um, missing that perspective. Um, I think there is not, even though the vast majority, you know, sometimes I say um, autistics pay ABA's bills because the vast majority of the field is working for autistic people. Um, a, a lot of you are working for kids. Um, really young kids. And I think you have a difficulty taking perspective to connect that really young kid with people that would then go and read that and internalize it about themselves, connecting that kid with the adult they turn into, which is people like me um, and, and a lot of other people. Um, or that they would connect with parents of kids like me. Um, and I, I think that there's, there's kind of a chronic lack of engagement between real conversations and real understanding autistic people and not just as clients and not just as people that you teach, but as information sources, as colleagues, as people that you can develop a real relationship with and, and if that was there, there would, 
I believe there would be a whole lot more people that wouldn't have personally chosen to put those things on those cards because it would be much easier to connect that with the human being that doesn't want their accidents made fun of, um, doesn't want what they will do for a Skittle made fun of. Yeah, and, and I, I want to add to um, the, the ideas of, you know, I, I think Jeff touched on this a little bit earlier. Um, you know, we, we have gallows humor it are, is in every field. Every field talks about the, the hardships or the downsides, but, but these, are, these are people we're talking about. And when we look at the cards, I'm not gonna specifically reference them again because I don't wanna trigger anyone, but when you start looking at those, yes, some of us might look at it as ABA people saying, that's not what that means. That's not the way we meant it. That's not the way we wrote it. That's the way they're reading it. And that's what matters. That's, that is what matters. Like we use the cards and I say we as a field, as anyone who played it, who looked at it, we used it for fun. This is their life we're talking about. And the fact that people are still trying to defend it or at least just sort of say, you know, this was a while ago, it was just a few people, it's fine. Like, I don't think we've really acknowledged what we as a field are portraying ourselves to be. And I say portraying not to mean that we're faking it or that it looks like we're something different than we are. I mean, as this is what we are and people can see this is what we are and guys, we've got to be better than this. So. Yeah, I think there's, um, uh, I think there's also getting into like defending the field, minimizing the role of the cards and defending the field. Um, one of the ways that happened and has happened that has prevented um, a lot of, healing or reckoning from taking place out of this is um, one of the ways you play defense is just not talking about it at all. Um, and I can't tell you how many conversations in the ABA world referencing the fact that this happened have been disappeared over the years because uh, it's uncomfortable and it reflects poorly. Um, and so that's part of the playing defense is not having a conversation. Um, or of moderating the conversation or of it's in the past and you know people apologized and let it let it drop let it go and if you don't we'll, we'll ban you um and we will prevent you from continuing to try to have a conversation about this and so like if if you can't talk honestly about what happened you can't learn any lessons from what happened um so you think that's part of why things failed. I think without talking about it, you know, at the time I didn't think there was anything wrong with starting that thread. And if we don't talk about it, there's going to be somebody else like me who innocently comes in and says, oh, this seems like a fun idea. Um, and the more that we knock those conversations down and we don't speak to it and talk about it in our ethics courses, um, the more likely this is going to, we're going to go through this again. This is not, not going to be an isolated incident. Yeah, I absolutely think if the perspective taking in whatever ways that are needed doesn't happen, um, you know, it's not going to be another Cards Against Humanity deck. It's going to be something else. Um, 
in you know Shannon. I just I just want to say that like um, I don't think it's it's like I I don't think you can necessarily blame yourself for the having the idea for a deck as as I think I shared with you um, like there's an actual autistic cards against humanity deck floating out there that from my personal perspective, I think is largely hilarious. Um, and like, I, I don't think it, it, it's not, it's not punching down. Um, it is a lot of wry observations. And so I don't think like, I, I think, um, I don't think it was a fair, like hindsight is twenty twenty, and I, I think it's totally reasonable to start something like that without knowing where it was going to go. But when it started going, um, I think uh, I, I think one of the f things your field needs to really think hard about is what is it that for people that were seeing those cards and objecting to them, and I know there had to be plenty of people because plenty of people don't like cards against humanity. People weren't saying things. Why? Why is it an uncomfortable thing to tell other members of your field, hey, I am not sure we should be doing this. Hey, hold up. Um, and, and I'm, I'm going to put that to like you as a field. I'm not in your field. I'm an interloper. Um, but that's, that's a hard discussion I think you need to have. No, I 100% agree. Um, we all should have been speaking up and we were letting things slide. And there is a level of awkwardness of, you know, should I call this person out publicly? Or how do I veil, call this person out in a way that's actually not effective at all? You know, that, that strategy doesn't work. So figuring out how we teach people, you know, it is essential that we call out the people even who are, you know, high up in our field, people who are, you know, put up as this kind of pseudo celebrity, they're just as flawed, you know. Um, I think another another factor that I wanted to speak to in our field in general, um, you know, thinking about the people at the top of the field all the way to the bottom, um, we have this system of overwork and burnout. Um, and so many of us, I know part of what sparked me starting the thread at all was this missing kind of social network, these these missing reinforcers, you know, in, in life in general, that, you know, we're going to engage in these, you know, behaviors that get us a lot of social attention. Um, and that, that can all go back to this, this burnout and this, you know, we, we've created a, an ABA culture in which we work people to death. You know, we, we, treat people as if they're billable hours and what we end up doing is uh, depersonalizing you know we forget that one the people that we work with are humans we forget that our employees and our staff are humans you know that have lives you know and that have you know passions and dreams and things um, so with the lack of systemic supports in the field of behavior analysis right now not having enough qualified supervisors having caseloads. I've heard people having 27 cases on their caseloads. It's insane. And how can you keep your humanity at that work level? So not to say it's at all an excuse. And I think 
you know, getting at some of those systemic variables um, and teaching companies and our field in general that this is not acceptable. And um, I'd like to open that up for, for some discussion from the group because as a systems person, that was my one of my first places that I went to was we're, we're burning out and taking our clients down with us. Um, yeah, just a quick comment on that whole idea like I've experienced as an RBT or as a BCAT because some companies use that um, instead that um, you're very much treated as a cog in a system and like not allowed to say I don't fit well with this client I think they would be better served to be with somebody else you're not allowed to say that you can get threatened with being fired or threatened with um, corrective action for not being a perfect fit for everybody or like for needing a day off like you get in trouble for that sort of thing so as an RBT from the bottom position like that's something I personally experienced and is definitely a problem yeah I think I think the the ABA culture is such that it depersonalizes as a science. <laughs> it literally, we, we always talk about not the person, just the behavior. And, you know, we're, it's still people. We're the people behaving. In this case, we behaved badly. In so many cases, we behaved badly. We need to look at the people and our behaviors. We need to change our behaviors and Part of that is by remembering that there's people on both sides. There's the people talking, there's the people we're talking about. Um, a point for Jeff's um, where he said, you know, other people make Cards Against Humanity decks. Yeah, they make Cards Against Humanity decks about themselves. Ours were all about making fun of our clients. That's what they were. We talk about our clients. We don't talk about ourselves. And that's a difference as well. And I think when we start just seeing everything that we do as just working with um, children and just making them do things and then behaviors and behaviors, the word behaviors just takes over people. And, and I, think, I think that happens in our field for a reason, as a default, as part of ABA. And I think humanizing everything is going to be the next step in our field because right now it's not there. Yeah, we've turned people into data points and numbers, and they're no longer, you know, humans. Shannon, I uh, empathize so much with um, distilling somebody down into a billable hour. Um, I, I think I, that's, there's, uh, obviously there's a lot of that going on um, in a lot of uh, profit maximization um, at firm levels that don't, necessarily key into best interest of the person, um, best interest of employees. And, um, and you know, one, so one of my backgrounds is um, I train on person-centered thinking and planning. Um, and one of the key hallmarks of that, of what we believe we have good data to show, the most important thing in any type of relationship like this is the match. Um, and like Alexander was saying, um, like a lot of times that's not necessarily respected. And, and when there is not a good match, learning is way less effective. Um, and y'all would probably disagree with me, but one of the things I will make an argument for is that what's more important than whatever methodology for teaching, whether it be 
ABA or ESDM or whatever, um, what, whatever that methodology is matters way, 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 way less than the personal connection and trust between the client and the BCBA um, or RBT. Just so you know, I'm not, well, I, I don't think you know, any of us are right here in this panel. Yeah. But that's hard I to do. quantify. And so a lot of times it falls off. And when it does fall off and you don't make the space for that uh, and you don't have real personal mutually validating connections, I think what you end up with is depersonalization, dehumanization, and people angry at whatever their day-to-day -day looks like that puts them to want to blow off steam and create or play some of those cards. I think this everyone's making really great points around this. I don't really have anything to add on that the topic of like the systems approach from a business standpoint, but I did want to add a little bit just on like the rest of the structure of the field and maybe people might have some things to add as well. So one of the there were two different areas that came to mind for me. One, how we become certified, the other or not how we become certified, but how our certification is overseen. And then the other was in our coursework. So for me, I think having that oversight is important. So for a lot of other professions, they have, they get their, you know, degree, they do their training and they have a board that they test with, like for lawyers or whatever, you take the bar and you pass and all that kind of stuff. But then each state has their own licensure, and that's what oversees the actual professional practice in that state. Um, but right now, we have a situation where our board oversees a lot of the things in our field, and they're working as a certifying body and a licensing body. So I think sometimes that leads to some difficulties with things being proper or I don't even know the best word, but things are not given the oversight that they deserve. So I don't want to turn this into a should we have licensure debate or not, but that's just an observation that I made. Um, I also wanted to note about I'm really perplexed as to why we're a human service field. Uh, however, I've yet to see, and I haven't seen every graduate program out there, but a lot of the programs I'm familiar with don't include any training in areas that a lot of other human service fields include. So things like self-care, preventing burnout, and of course, most importantly, treating clients with human humanity, dignity, and respect, which would also you know, tie in nicely, Jeff, with what you were saying about understanding the importance of that relationship and having the, the client and the therapist or BCBA having that really well-established relationship, psychologists, social workers, lots of other human services uh, that they have whole courses on things like that where they need to role play and they get feedback from their supervisors. And it's very well established before they're released to work on their own. Um, it was a heavy focus at my graduate program, which was Florida State, where we read a lot of literature on hu humanity and dignity and respect. But it was a lot of like, this is what happened back in the 70s. This is in our past, don't let it happen again without any real skill building around ensuring that we were trained to work in that capacity and that we could do things that are compassionate and humane. So I think we have basically all three things, right? We need better oversight, better coursework, and 
the companies that we're working with, we have improvements that need to be made as well. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Yeah, I, I think it's really important to note that um, among discussion of what failed here, uh, the code of ethics failed. Um, and enforcement of the code of ethics failed um, because there is a code of ethics that virtually everybody participating in that thread was under. Uh, and I know quite a lot of people made reports. Um, and I also have yet to find anybody saying that they faced any repercussions out of, uh, from the BACB, from code of ethics, for anybody that was involved. Um, and um, furthermore, I know, uh, you know, I talk to plenty of people in the field and plenty of people in the field tell me stuff like, yeah, it's enforcement doesn't happen. Um, you know, the effort of, for, for whatever effort that's put into this code of ethics and how many times individual BCBAs will tut-tut at each other over you know, what is and is not inside the code, um, the, the reality is, is if you are not falsely representing yourself as a BCBA, uh, when you have not passed your boards, by and large, you probably, no matter what you do, are going to encounter any type of sanction. And I don't like fear as a motivator, but fear is a motivator. And sometimes what keep, keeps people in line or at least second guessing whether or not this is a good idea is if, if I got dragged in front of whatever um, and had to defend myself, would I wanna do that? Um, and I think that's one of the things that fell apart is there is not really good enforcement. Um, and in, not to mention, uh, I, I, I am a strong when I talk like things that I see needing to change, uh, which happens to be something I talk a lot about for people that know me, um, like, code of, like changing the code of ethics itself, because there's holes that you can drive a truck through. When you can define client 20 different ways um, to include almost anybody in somebody's life uh, rather than the person, um, then that kind of stuff doesn't force you to consider my professional livelihood could be at stake if I do not consider how this person right in front of me right here would be impacted by my actions. Um, and so that's a failure point. And something that came up for me when I'm thinking about, well, what was the failure here is that um, I see conversations all over Facebook with ABA saying, we're a science, we're a science. And bit of background, I studied physics in my undergrad. I know what science is. Um, <laughs> just to throw that out there. But we don't engage in nearly enough philosophic doubt as a field. And that's part of science. And I remember being taught about that in my program. So I'm like, okay, cool. So we're supposed to be critical of our own practices, of our past information, um, to make sure that we're constantly driving the field forward because we're a science, obviously, that makes sense. Except in the ABA world, that doesn't happen. Like people pile on if you dissent. Um, and so I'm not seeing anybody practicing philosophic doubt. And we don't question professors or school programs or supervisors when they rely on research done in the 70s that teach ABA principles. We don't 
call each other out on bad behavior, um, I think under the assumption that extinction will stop it, but uh, clearly, like, that, that isn't happening. Um, and it's clear that there are enough people, like, if you watch any thread, that don't see the problems um, or these cards as abusive or as bad that um, by people remaining silent, they're being complicit in that problem. Um, the situation with the cards um, makes it clear that these abuses and problems in the field aren't old ABA or in the past. Their practices being in the present um, needs to be reckoned with so that we can be held accountable and see real change happening. Um, I can't, made a statement recently about a totally different topic saying that the rug um, has become a roof stop sweeping and I think that that applies here as well that like um, systemically we don't call each other out we don't um, comments get deleted or um, people are tone policed or people are told that they're wrong and they don't understand ABA or even worse you're not autistic how like um, telling an autistic person they're not autistic like that kind of thing continues to you're happen too high functioning yeah, that one. Um, have you seen my house? Um, <laughs> kinds of things um, come up and it gets swept under the rug. And it, at this point, like in this particular situation, in many situations we're seeing in the world right now, that rug is now a roof over a lot of stuff that just needs to be reckoned with and needs to be dealt with. And if we keep sweeping, yeah, um, that's as far as I can take that analogy. Just stop sweeping, um, please. <laughs> um, Alexandra, I think the, the philosophical doubt um, conversation is so, so important because um, like, look, as an ABA critic, um, one of the things, I don't live in your world, I just visit it. Um, and one of the things I encounter all the time is dissent in critical opinions not being viewed as philosophical doubt, not being viewed as the jumping off point to thinking of what would be true if I was wrong? And let me test that. Let me see if like, if, if this, what kinds of things would we see? Philosophical doubt. Uh, instead, dissent is viewed as a threat um, and it is not welcome. And it is not a jumping off place for a conversation or that opening to like just looking at things from a different perspective and then like let's do some fact finding here let's do some data collection like all of the the scientific process stuff um dissent is something that the person is out of bounds for bringing um and encounters a lot of hostility and lots of not being welcome once you get labeled as an anti-person. Um, and and that, that closes off um, your field's ability to accept criticism, to take it, to recognize your own blind spots, and to change. And I gotta say, the, um, the world that we are all working in by and large of providing services to people with disabilities, um, that world has changed dramatically in the last couple of years, in the couple of years before that, and a couple of years before that. 
And if you aren't changing with it all the time and are not open to that change, you are just getting left further and further and further behind um, in the fields that can rapidly internalize the shifts in perspective, uh, like, like even language that was totally okay to ways to think and ways to put in somebody's plan, be it like an IEP or in my world, we do a lot of service plans. Like I can recognize stuff that was written five years ago and, and it looks archaic, um, even stuff I wrote. Um, and that's how fast things are changing. Um, and when you guys don't have mechanisms to accept and really chew on that criticism, you aren't hearing that and you aren't part of the change. Um, and so now you've, like as a field from my perspective, you got to play a lot of makeup for not being as open and having the mechanisms to really have dissent and to hear critical voices and to really think about what those mean. I think that it's really important what Alexandra was saying and then Jeff, what you were saying about philosophical doubt. Um, I would imagine if any student had the uh, courage to bring it up to their professors or their supervisors, they would quickly get shot down. So if anyone's watching this and a, whether it's a current student, a current trainee, a, you know, autistic self-advocate posting on a Facebook thread, uh, that philosophical doubt, that questioning of what you're incorporating, just listen, listen and reflect and think about how you can, you know, improve what you're doing. Um, and sometimes articles from the 70s might be read, but it's, it should be more of a, this is how it started, right? And like, now let's read something from here. And have we progressed far enough? And if we haven't, how can we improve even more? Are we incorporating compassion, empathy, perspective taking, humanity, all of those types of things, and really more of a thought? Are we including the person? <laughs> right. <laughs> is, know, is the and, person there? Exactly. Revolutionary so, thought. Yeah. So the, the articles, the articles may not even exist yet, but if you're a supervisor or a professor, you have that unique opportunity to help your students or your trainees think about this is what exists in our literature right now and how can we make this more humane and, and consider the person and what can we do to fix this? As opposed to just locking in and being like, nope, that's what the research says. I see that all over the place in conversations of people or negating conversations because it doesn't exist in the literature. Um, like okay well there's your problem How, when was the last time research done on that topic like why are we relying on it like sure you can say well it doesn't exist but why is your question or why aren't you questioning where do we go from here why are, is your default to say research says this it's set in stone it's the perfect thing i'm like oh okay um science <laughs> so it sounds like we're kind of easing into a conversation of like where do we go next um, you know, what, what are some prescriptions of things we can think about to, um, address what happened here and take actions from a field basis to, so, so it doesn't go here in the future. Um, so what do we, what do we want to say about that? 
Yeah, I think um, the things that we can learn from this and the things that we can do, um, some of the things are, you know, don't be a bystander, don't just watch as things, um, as people go out of their way to um, be rude online to people who are trying to dissent, who are trying to bring up these questions, you know, um, add your voice rather than let someone stand alone um, fighting against this giant field who sort of throws science like we're trying to attack someone rather than trying to help them. Um, so I think, you know, adding more of our voices, being vocal, being outspoken, speaking up when we see these things happening and not trying to take, you know, when someone says a hundred words of something and two of the words were said wrong, please let's not focus on those two words and correct them. Let's take that 98 words, let's take the feeling behind it, let's take the passion behind it and say this, this is what they're saying, they're experiencing something, they've experienced something, they're hurting. You know, we're talking about our jobs, they're talking about their lives. We need to listen to people who um, are talking about the effects of what we do, um, whether it's something that we do as a fun game, um, or whether it's what we're doing in our jobs every day and what we're doing to work. Um, and I think that those, those types of things need to happen. Um, Sarah, uh, riffing off of what you just said, um, I think in addition to speaking up, what's really important is making sure the right voices are elevated in the conversation. Um, and in this case, I would say the right voices are autistic voices. Um, but we've seen over the past weeks, months, and, and years, uh, kind of in ABA culture, um, there have been times where the right voices are people talking about sexism. And I'm not the right voice to have a sexism conversation. Um, talking about racial justice issues, like, um, and, and the key hallmark where I've seen so many of those conversations go off the rails is the wrong people's voices are, we're, we're not calling to elevate who should be at the center of that conversation and driving the conversation. Um, and in, uh, in self-advocacy circles, a, a hallmark phrase that you probably heard is nothing about us without us. Uh, well, that carries over a lot more than just our groups. Um, that, that goes all across the board. Um, whenever there is some of these conversations that are talking about people where their input and their experience is not anchoring that conversation, that, that should be red warning flag, full stop, and let's make sure that we are hearing those people and giving them space to speak, especially when we don't understand the issue like they are bringing to us. We need, we need to seek that understanding, um, even if it doesn't reflect well on us or if we don't like it. Yeah, and something that I'd like to bring up is, um, we talked about making sure that we get to, you know, newer behavior analysts, people who are just coming into the field right now and having these conversations, um, but that isn't sufficient. We need the people who have been in this field for a long time to acknowledge this. 
Um, we need people at the top of the field. We can't do this work from the bottom up. You know, we, we, we can't do it. So we need the top of the field acknowledging some of these conversations. Um, at a lower, kind of a smaller scale, that means if you're a supervisor, you need to be having these discussions with your supervisees. Um, and training isn't the sole solution. So Megan had mentioned earlier, you know, training is a good place to start where we, we have these conversations. Um, but we need to also have other processes for handling deviations from how we should be behaving. Um, I'll say I probably should have contacted more contingencies than I did, given, given the, the gravity of the situation, and I didn't. Um, so there should be more consequences in place for you know, people who engage in, in these deviations, and they need to be integrated into your company culture. You know, we clearly can't rely on the field to have those contingencies in place. So at least have them at that smaller scale and model and reinforce what we should be doing. So don't be that supervisor who says, let's play these at our Christmas party. Um, and don't just have your ethics books on your bookshelf and your values on your walls. You actually have to live those things. And if you can't, you need to take them down and you need to put those books away. Um, so this is a field-wide issue um, that we can't just, we can't keep talking at the, at the bottom of the field. We need to start working from the top down, not the, the bottom up. Um, and that seems like one, one of the ways to do that um, is, you know, let's have a conversation about accountability. Um, because when the top of your field, when leaders in your field aren't responsive to this, I think it begs the question, why are these people your leaders? Um, and you don't have individual power towards that, but you have a lot of collective power. Um, and I, I would tell you guys to use that. Um, if the leadership, if the big names, if the people that have been around for a long time in your field don't reflect what you want your field to be, it is you and only you that can change that. It is you and only you um, that can do something about that. I can do nothing about that. I'm not going to get listened to, um, uh, and and it isn't my fight to fight. Um, it is the fight of all of you, um, and so I think you can support each other in not feeling like that is too big and recognizing the power that you have. Um, I know a lot of you work largely independently and. A lot of your get-together stuff is online space and like conferences and stuff, but you have a collective voice. Um, and I can tell you if there's no other motivation than to hold leadership accountable for things in your field that do not reflect the way you want them to be, um, you better hold them accountable because you will all be held accountable. You will all have your names and the letters behind your names dragged through the mud on a daily basis. And I can tell you saying it's in the past, it's only a couple bad apples. Um, how many of these lines have we heard applying to stuff going on in society? Um, and, and these are the same defenses that when I talk critically about problems I have encountered in your field, that get raised all the time. It's the same kind of stuff. Um, and it's not making you look any better. 
uh, and the way to address and address the name of your field and the bad reputation that exists out there um, is not better marketing and better messaging and better dissemination. Uh, I think that's your that, that's your word, right? Um, it is accountability and it is taking action and it is raising your voices up and telling the people perpetuating the stuff that makes you look bad, stop. We do not support you and will not support you in this and we will raise our voice. Um, you, have, you all have power that you don't realize you have. Um, the autistic folks on us on the outside, um, we see that power because it's the same power we're seizing. Um, it is the same, you know, how many times we've been called the voice of the voice, you know, the, the voiceless, uh, ignored, not even invited to the table, and we demand to be there. And we're not afraid of that. And, and that's one of the things you can learn is the effectiveness of just being there and speaking your truth. Thank you, Jeff. Again, that's a lot, very insightful. I really like the point about accountability. Uh, Shannon, I think that your points about having that company culture is really important as well. Um, I had a few other things or maybe similar things that I thought of for this, what we can do. One, the training needs to occur with agencies, university supervision and dissemination or and disseminated from the top down. I think sometimes it's a little harder because there are so many universities that potentially working with the professional organizations and trying to get more movement going with them disseminating information down to the universities and companies and individual providers about even just how to engage in difficult conversations and really listen to non-behavior analysts, consumers of services, and the population at large. As much as I loved my graduate training, even when I earned my PhD, it was either not discussed at all, or we were taught the opposite. You are the expert. You know all of the things. Shut everyone else out. Stand your ground, right? We weren't taught how to you know, sit back and listen and have these difficult conversations with people. More work also needs to be done with agencies and professional organizations and universities to involve the consumers we serve. So I think Sarah, you mentioned this, Jeff and Alexandra, you obviously mentioned this as well, but include autistics and whatever other populations you're serving and get the feedback as you're making decisions and as you're creating your policies so that you can have that to work from before and not after the fact. Um, I think another important piece of that is to seek out whatever population you're serving when you're looking for that feedback. If, you're, if you have a board of advisors or whatever, wherever that feedback is coming from, it's not like you, you touch base with someone that you've seen posting who is active in these spaces and just say, hey, will you take a look at something for me? But it should be more along the lines of some sort of paid or mutually beneficial situation. Not everyone, especially if it's like a brand new company or something, might have capital right away, but there could be some sort of agreement that's made. So we, we shouldn't be seeking input from places for free, if that makes sense. Um, and then the last thing I thought of is that we all need to stop being silent. 
when you see something, say something in a way that can help move the conversation forward. Refrain, obviously, from personal attacks. Be curious and share a different perspective in a way that is not harsh or combative. If it isn't your place to speak up, hold space for those who are already talking um, and encourage your peers to do the same. That, those were my thoughts on what we can do better. Um, and of course, if anyone has thoughts, I kind of went on a tangent with number two <laughs> about including voices. So if anyone has any additional comments on that or like points of disagreement, I would love to hear those. I, uh, I, I do have thoughts on um, listening to autistic voices. This is something that I've um, begun to work on and I'm trying to continue to do that and um, telling other people to do it. And it's listen to autistic voices um, which is hard for us in ABA at first because they keep getting banned from our groups when they try to tell us. They keep getting shut out. Their threads are being deleted. You know, some of the people, if you're still watching this video and you're going, I have no idea what this Cards of Humanity thing is, it's because it was all deleted and people keep hiding this. And we need to make sure that we seek out, we find, and we listen to these autistic voices. There are websites on the internet, there are blogs, there are articles that they've written, there are tons of information. And then there are people who are willing to talk to us, thank God, because um, we haven't made it very you know, friendly for them to wanna talk to us, but they are because they care about our clients because they are autistic themselves. Um, these are not, people, you know, people say this in posts, these are the people who don't speak for our clients, or um, these people don't understand ABA, they've used this term wrong, so they clearly don't understand ABA, and I think maybe sometimes we don't understand ABA, or at least what the impact it has on our clients, or the, the way it's seen from outside, and, and how much damage it can do. Um, or what this, people in your profession are actually doing. Yes, um, exactly. Yeah, there's a ton of ignorance yeah, about what it looks like, but what it like literally what it is. Um, and and yeah, so like what we read about and then what we do, and sometimes that's completely different. Sometimes what we read about is also awful and we don't even see that. Um, and I think, you know, this culture that we have of of we're the best, ABA is the best, ABA is what knows we know. We know how to teach everything and we're the only ones who know how to teach everything and everyone else is terrible that's really bad it's hurting our clients it's hurting our community it's hurting our field guys like we all sound like dicks like i'm just saying like outside i mean even in the field i think we aba or dicks you're gonna have speech therapists ot autistic people pretty much everyone agrees with that i believe now uh, jeff you agree with that i assume right um, I I really felt the article somebody wrote on I think LinkedIn about board certified behavior asshole um, and as somebody that works adjacent to the field um, I, I, I gotta tell you there are a lot of people I encounter that your field has burned bridges through professional interactions oh yeah like I, I don't think it's my place necessarily to belabor that point um but it is very real um and um there's it feels like there's um a certain amount of antagonism that's written into a lot of graduate programs themselves um or superiority or stuff like that but that i i did want to backtrack to one point i really wanted to make when talking about there's 
a lot of people have brought up listen to autistic people. Um, I would just remind everybody to scale that down. Um, scale that down to your autistic client. Um, and look, you know, whenever I say that, there's somebody in the audience that is saying, well, I would love to include so-and-so in this, but they're not capable of doing that. Um, they're three years old, or they don't speak, or this or that. And look, I'm a case manager. I have to write a plan for my client, reflecting my client's wishes, interests, and values as my client. Not what I think is good for them, not what I think they should want. If it doesn't reflect them, it's invalid because they are the person I represent and have a professional responsibility to. Same for you guys. If you do not know what your client, whether your client is 18 months old or what the abilities of your client is or anything else, if you do not have a sense of what my client's values are, what my client likes in this world, what is important to my client, where my client sees their future. If you can't answer questions like that, you may need to get that person in front of somebody who can. You definitely, if you keep seeing that person, need more information and need to be able to capture that. For anybody, whether they tell you in words or not, they have preferences that should be respected. And if you can't figure out how to build that into your program, you need to, or you need to pass them to somebody that can. They are your client and that is what client means. And, and respecting, you know, tying this back because I feel it's a little bit tangential, but like tying it back to those cards, if that was truly valued, I can't imagine a single one of those offensive cards I just can't. I, yeah, I, I definitely agree. Um, I think that when we lose sight of who our client is and where our goals come from, they don't come from the VB map. They shouldn't come from the VB map. They should come from our clients. Um, our clients aren't little check boxes on a page. They're people. And I think we need to remember this. And I think also we need to remember that the people who are speaking up on Facebook pages against things that our field are doing. Such, I mean, the Cards Against Humanity thing, yes, but everything else that we're doing as well. When people speak up against it, we shouldn't get defensive. We need to speak up, we need to listen to them and think about it. And when other people start minimizing and pushing them away, we need to use our voices to speak up and say, no, let's listen to these people. It's valid, we need to hear this. Um, you know, we need to stop just watching the conversations go by and, you know, getting out popcorn and just watching it. We need to speak up. We need to speak out. We need to rally against them or we need to rally for them instead of against them. We need to, to say, hey, it's not okay to belittle and push away and, you know, stigmatize people who are trying to help. Um, you know, we need to get angry and we need to get upset when autistic voices are ignored or when any dissenter in our field is ignored, when anyone who says anything against us, we shouldn't just ignore them. We should think, I mean, that's philosophical doubt. It's kind of what we've pulled back to. We need to speak about that. And when we know better, we do better. So let's not let something like this happen in our field ever again. And if it does, I hope that we all speak out against it immediately, loudly and forcefully, instead of it taking 
five years for all of us to get together and speak about this.